0: Once again, welcome to Harvest. We're so glad you're here. If you're a guest with us today, I don't know if I said this earlier, but if you're a guest with us today, and if you need anything at all, if we can be of help to you or serve you in any way, uh, please let us know. we would love to do that. So um, so for us, here at Harvest, two weeks ago, we started a new ministry season, uh, and with that comes a new ministry theme for us for the year, which, as you can see on the banners and behind me, we have uh, called this "Love, the King, Live for the Kingdom." And uh, as part of this new theme, we're launching into a new sermon series uh, called Upside-Down Kingdom, uh, which is looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' longest, most in-depth, most um, concentrated teaching to his disciples comes uh, from these couple chapters in Matthew. And, um, and what we want to do, what we're going after this year as a church family is how do we grow as citizens of the kingdom? How do we come? better followers of Christ this year than we were last year, right? And Jesus is going to give us a lot to do that. But before we can get into the technical how-to stuff, we first have to root ourselves in an identity that Jesus starts his sermon with that I've simply entitled Child of the King, right? And all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ have this. We've been adopted into God's family as his children. And so the first week we talked about because that is true— We have a blessing that comes from God our Father. We talked about how to find your blessing. Last week we talked about how to find your calling as a child of God, as a follower of Christ. I have a calling on my life to do something for Him and and following Him. And then this week we're going to talk about how to find your hope in Christ. How to find your hope in that identity that we share as children of God. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, picking up in verse 17 today. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be some hardback black ones there on the floor around you underneath the chairs. You can kind of look up and down the row there and find a Bible there to follow along with uh, if you like as well. So um, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going. Um, So uh, a while back, my... Mechanic was telling me that uh, my car is getting older, you know, and it needed new struts on the front and it needed new brakes on the front and all this stuff, and it was going to be a couple thousand dollars to get all this work done, and we didn't really, weren't really ready to really do that yet. And so I was telling the guys in my small group, yeah, you know, this is what's going on the mechanic, blah, blah, blah. And, and they're like, oh, he's like, man, we, that's, that's not that hard. We can, we can help you do that. And I was like, really? They're like, oh, yeah, that's not a big deal at all. And I was like, okay. So like they helped me, you know, kind of, and by the way, if you're not in a small group, Get in a small group, man. Like this is like, we, we do the prayer stuff, we do the Bible study stuff, and that's all awesome, but part of it's just doing life with other people, right? People who actually care about you and want to help you and want to serve you, and, and you serve them, and it's this joint thing where we're doing it together and we're not trying to do this life alone, right? So there's the PSA for today, get in a small group, okay? So anyway, so we're doing this thing, so like, we ordered the parts and we set the night and we're going to go do this thing, and, and my thought is, my expectations are this, I'm going to show up. And I'm gonna watch these guys and I'm gonna learn how to do this, and then next time I can do it. Right? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's why you see where this is going. So I show up and like these guys like have like these like special mechanic suit clothes things on, they got all these special tools, and they're talking like in some other language. Like it's kind of sounded like English, but there was a whole lot of words I had never heard before, so I'm guessing it was a foreign language they were speaking in. And so they start going to work and and I pretty much was like handing them tools and just staying out of the way while they did all this work on my car. It took way longer than I expected it to. And so I felt really bad. But like they, they did a huge, huge blessing and favor to my family. They helped us get my car all fixed up. All right? The problem was this, though. I came in with the wrong expectations. I knew where I was. All right. I knew I didn't know how to do it. I knew where I wanted to get to. But the gap between where I was and where I wanted to get to was way too big for me to overcome in a couple hours, watching some guys one night. I needed somebody who already knew it, who could already do it, who could step into that gap and fill that gap for me and get it done. Are you tracking with me? Sometimes our spiritual life feels like that. Have you ever felt that before? Right? I know where I'm at spiritually. If I'm just being honest, I know where I'm at. And I know where I'm supposed to be. I know where I want to be. I know where God tells me I need to go. But the gap between where I'm at and where I want to be is so big. Sometimes it's just overwhelming. And it's discouraging. And it can be depressing even. It can, it can feel like there's no way I can get from there to here. And the truth is, you're right. You can't. And I can't. That gap is Real, and if we're the ones trying to close that gap by ourselves to get from here to there by my own power and strength and ability, it's not going to happen. Thankfully, God has made a way to help us close that gap in our lives. So, today, what I want you to see in Jesus' uh, part of the sermon today is this Jesus is my only hope to close the gap between God's word. In my life now, if you've been at Harvest for a while, you've probably figured out my system that I usually put my main point at the end of the sermon notes. And you're trying to fill in the blanks right now, and it doesn't fit because I changed it this morning. Uh, sometimes you know God gives you a new thing, right? And so, so cross out the one that's in the box there, and write this one down, and so y'all, all you Type A people aren't freaking out like, "How do I fill in the blanks?" Right? So, I'm with you. I got it. Okay. So this is the new thing this morning. This is what I believe God is speaking to us through this text: that Jesus is my only hope to close the gap between God's word and my life. That's where we're headed today. And so the question before us is, how do we do that? How do we close that gap? And what Jesus is going to show us here in this text is two lies that we oftentimes believe about closing that gap, and then one truth of how it really happens, okay? You ever play that game, like in small group or in one of your things, like two truth and a lie. is the opposite of that, okay? Jesus is going to give us two lies and one truth about how this works. So the first lie that we sometimes believe about how to close that spiritual gap in our lives is this. I just need to lower God's word to my life, All right? That's your first point this morning. Lower God's word to meet my life. And the, the thinking kind of goes like this. You know. God's, I've read God's word, I know what it says, and his standards are like way up here, and they're, they're just, they're not realistic, and there's no way I'm going to reach that, and it doesn't even fit our culture today, like that was written all those years ago, and obviously things have changed today, and so that's not really valid anymore, and so it's, we got to change that, we got to bring that down to something that's attainable, bring that down to my level, so I can actually get there, okay? Let's see what Jesus says. Look at verse 17, Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus starts off his little statement here with, do not think. In other words, whatever you were thinking, don't think that. Let me set the record straight right now. This is what it is, all right? So Jesus is setting something straight here. He says, listen, I did not, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So first of all, the fact that he has not come to do that tells us that he did come to do something, right? And this is super important as you read the Gospels and you understand who Jesus is, that Jesus came to earth with a mission, He came with a purpose in mind. He didn't just come to hang out for a little while, right? Like God sent his only son. God himself came to him, was born in the flesh as a human because he had a purpose and he had a a mission to accomplish on this earth. And that purpose was not, he says here, to abolish what came before him, the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, that phrase was a phrase that they used in this time in the Jewish circles to describe what we now called the Old Testament. Right? The law was the Torah, the first five books of our current day Bible. That was considered the law, and all the other writings, even though some of them weren't prophetic books, all the other writings past the Torah through the rest of the Old Testament was considered the prophets. Right? So when he says here, I did not come to abolish the, the, the law and the Prophets," he's saying, listen, all of God's written word, all of God's written revelation, all the way that he has revealed himself to us up to this point I'm not coming to abolish that. I'm not coming to destroy it. I'm not coming to tear it down. The word aboster literally means to like, like demo a building, right? All you Chip and Joanna fans. Like, he's like, it's not demo day. I'm not coming to demo the law. Are you tracking with me? He says, I'm coming to fulfill it, to bring it to its fullest expression. And in some cases, to bring it to its final conclusion. I'm coming to fulfill the law. You see, what, we're, what Jesus is getting ready to do in the next part of his sermon that we're going to start next week, is he's going to start taking all these Old Testament laws and he's saying, the prophets or Moses or whoever said this, but I say this. And he's going to explain how to take what was already written in God's word and apply it to the human heart in a way that actually lines up with the gospel rather than is contrary to the gospel. The law, the word wasn't wrong. The application that was happening in the hearts of the Jewish people was the problem. So Jesus had come to fulfill, to fully explain and fully express what God meant as he delivered his word to us. And he also came to bring God's word to a final conclusion in some cases because in the Old Testament writings, if you will study it, you'll find that there are over 200 different prophecies in the Old Testament that are specifically fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I'm not giving you the full list of 200. It's okay. You can breathe. All right? We're not going to be here all day. But I picked out a few just to kind of give you some examples of this is what we're talking about. This is what it looks like. And so here are some prophecies from the Old Testament. Number one, um, that the Messiah that was coming, Jesus, would be born a human of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, right? That's pretty specific. You're not going to find a lot of people meeting that criteria. Can we agree on that, right? This prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened. And it gives you the, the references there. You can look it up if you want to jot those down. And the second one, his family lineage would trace from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to King David and so on. And in two of the different gospels, it tracks Jesus' lineage back through these men and their families and shows that he was fulfilling that prophecy. Another prophecy said that he would perform miracles and teach in parables. Again, if you read the gospels for any length, that's like all he did, right? He just went around the country over and over again, healing people and doing miracles and teaching parables, and that was his thing. prophesied that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey that had never been ridden, which he did at the beginning of holy. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday every year. That was when he entered into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy, coming not as a reigning king on a horse with an army to destroy Rome, but rather as a humble servant coming in to die for the sins of all who would believe. It also prophesied that he would be betrayed and rejected and despised not only by his friends, but by the Jewish people at large, which happened repeatedly. It prophesied that he would be mocked and beaten and spat upon, pierced and stripped and die, all while remaining silent against his accusers and yet interceding for sinners with God the Father. If you've ever read and looked at what Jesus endured on the way to the cross, the fact that he could do that and not ever speak a word back against those who were falsely accusing and beating and killing him, that's a modern-day miracle in and of itself. But it actually fulfilled prophecy that was written hundreds of years before. And then lastly, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb that had never been used. He would be raised to life. And then he would sit on an everlasting throne. Again, that is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And some of it is still being fulfilled right now. As he sits next to his heavenly father and waits for the day when he gets to come back and claim all those who believe. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets by explaining how to apply it correctly to our hearts. And also bringing to conclusion so many prophecies that were pointing to him, the Messiah. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Every story every law, every prophecy, everything is a foreshadowing of or prediction of or pointing to in some way this turning point in salvation history when the Messiah would come and meet with his people and save them from their sins. So Jesus goes on and he says, listen, he says, truly I say to you, which that's a phrase you'll see over and over in the gospel. There's like 30-some times throughout the gospel, Jesus says, truly I say to you, which is basically like, listen up, right? Like, this is like, uber. what I'm about to say is uber important, right? Like, this is something you need to write down. Like, people were taking notes, he's like, take this down right now, write this, okay? Jesus is about to tell them something important. He says, until heaven and earth pass away, which is kind of an interesting phrase, because um, that actually was a Jewish idiom in that context. It was a phrase they would use to basically say, like, it's never going to happen, so Like, modern-day examples, parallels today would be like, you know, when hell freezes over or when pigs fly. That's basically what Jesus is saying. Like, listen, it's not going to happen. He says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass away from the law. The iota was the Greek word for the smallest Hebrew letter in the alphabet, the yod. I actually have a picture of a yod here for you. So you can see that's a Hebrew letter. Um, letter there, um, and you can see it's like a fourth of the size of most of the Hebrew letters. You can see the comparison here of the other two. So he's basically saying, not the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, or a dot, some of your versions, your Bible might say tittle there, um, that was the smallest mark on the Hebrew letter. And so you can see one here, so the Beth has one on the end of it here, that little part that jets out, where the kaf does not, Okay. In fact, the only thing that separates these two letters in the Hebrew alphabet is that little dot. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't know which letter was which. Okay? So basically what Jesus is saying is, listen, not the smallest letter, not the smallest pin stroke on a letter will pass away from God's word. Until what? Until all is accomplished. Until it has achieved its purpose until it has been fulfilled in me in either the first or the second coming of jesus christ some great examples of this from the old testament first of all one of the things that that is uh, throughout the entire old testament is the sacrificial system right like god gave his people all these ways to to rid themselves of sin he said listen if you sin, do this, you know, bring this animal, kill it this way, sacrifice it this way, burn this, give this to the priest, blah, blah, blah. They gave them all these ways to, to atone for their sins before the Lord. And that whole sacrificial system was a foreshadowing, a picture of what would one day take place in Jesus Christ on the cross when he came and was the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of the world once forever. It's done. No more sacrifices. That's why we're not, we don't have any goats up here today. Okay? Are you with me? Like, we don't have to do that anymore because that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are some that we're still waiting to be fulfilled at the second coming. A uh, modern day example for us as a Christian church is communion. Jesus Christ came and he sat with his disciples and he said, Listen, do this in remembrance of me, right? Take the, take the cup take the bread, remember my broken body and my spilled blood for you. We do this, we do this uh, once a month usually here at Harvest to remember and to worship and, re, and, and celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross. He said, do this until I return and I do it with you in glory. And there will be a day where Jesus comes and he takes us back and we will have the marriage supper of the lamb with him and it will be our final communion because it will now be fulfilled in the presence of Jesus Christ, All of God's word points to Jesus, man. It is all fulfilled in him, either already has been or will be in the days ahead. So what's the big deal with that? Why why does that matter, Micah? Why does that matter to us today? Well, here's one thing that it, it matters. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, all of God's word is for you today there are some who would teach and preach and proclaim that the Old Testament is no longer necessary or valid or we don't need to teach that, we don't need to study that, we've got the New Testament, it's all changed, now we've got Jesus, it's all gospel, it's all New Testament, we can ditch the Old Testament stuff. The only problem with that is Jesus. (laughs) He said, none of it's passing away until it is fulfilled in me. I'm not abolishing it. I'm not getting rid of it. This is still valid for you today. The only difference is you need to apply it through the person and the work of Jesus, not through the Old Testament system. So here at Harvest, we believe in the full counsel of God, that all of his word is still valid. That's why we've done sermon series in the minor prophets, we've done sermon series in the Psalms, we've done sermon series in some of the old testament history books. Like we have done oh, because it still applies to us today. Then Jesus goes on, look at verse 19. Whoever relaxes, one of the least of these commandments. Relaxes is kind of a weird word in that context. Some of your versions might have a different word. It basically means to change or to minimize, or in some cases, even to set aside, to say, well, you know, that commandment, that's, that's not really that big of a deal. We can kind of push that over here. We don't really need to worry about that one anymore. We can just not do that one, or we can change it to make it fit what we want. He says, anybody who does that and teaches others the same, and what's interesting when he talks about that is, sometimes we teach through our words, Sometimes we teach through our lives. Are you tracking with me? Right? And all the parents whose kids ever said a word that you didn't think they knew, say, amen, right? Like sometimes we preach through our words, sometimes we preach through our lives, they see it in us. And they learn it by how we do it. So sometimes we might not be telling our kids or telling our neighbors or telling our friends or our coworkers that this is okay, but by us not following God's law and God's word, and them seeing us do that, we're teaching them to do the same. All right? So whoever relaxes the least commandment and teaches us to do the same will be least in the kingdom. Now, he's not saying you'll be kicked out. All right? He's not saying that if you do this, you're no longer saved, that you lose your salvation or you don't get in. He's just saying, listen, I can't use you. You won't be as useful to the kingdom. You won't be as fruitful in your walk with me. You won't be as blessed in your walk with me because you're not fulfilling God's word in your life. You'll be least in the kingdom. And sometimes it's easier for us to talk about this kind of stuff and think that that's something that happens, you know, to, to people who aren't saved yet or people who, you know, are new Christians and they haven't really learned, they haven't really been walking much. But this happens to all of us. And it can happen easily, sometimes without us even realizing what we're doing. And I actually have a confession to make to you today as your pastor and as your shepherd uh, of a mistake that I made just this last week. Last Sunday, as I was preaching, I gave you an illustration of a TV show that had not yet come out, and so therefore I had not yet seen. Finally came out this weekend, and I watched a couple episodes, and there was some highly inappropriate material in that episode. So I made a rookie pastor mistake to put something before you that might entice you to go see it when it's probably not something you should see or not something I should see. (laughs) Sorry to bust your bugle on that one. Um, But by me laying it out there, there's some level of endorsement in that. And I'm relaxing God's word by my deed in front of you. And that's not okay. So sometimes you do it, you don't even realize you're doing it until it's too late, and you have to go back and you have to confess. So please forgive me, and please take heed of what I'm telling you today about that. But this is what what Jesus is talking about, the least of the commandments. When we take any part of God's word and say, that's not really that important, I can ignore that, I can put that on the side, it takes us out, man. It takes us out of commission for the Lord. But then he goes on, he says, whoever does the least of these commandments, whoever holds fast, whoever obeys God's word and teaches others to do the same, both in word and in deed, will be great in the kingdom. That you'll be fruitful and you'll be useful and you'll be blessed by the Lord as you do these things. That's a promise from Jesus himself. And we need to be doing this. We need to be encouraging one another in our small groups, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. We need to be teaching one another how to do God's word more. One of the ways that we've been discussing uh, that we're going to start this year with our kids, if we're wanting as a church, as adults, whether they're your kids or not, all right, we all have a responsibility to be discipling the next generation in our church. And we're looking for opportunities of how can we be showing them in word and deed how to follow Jesus. And so this year, three or four times, we're actually going to have our our kindergarten through fifth graders come in and worship with us here in this room so they can see, hey, when we're down there doing our worship thing, mommy and daddy and all the adults are doing their worship thing too, right? And we're all in this together, and it's not just something that's good for us and not good for them. And so they're going to be in here a couple times this, this year, and they're probably going to cry, and they're probably going to drop stuff and make noise, and that's okay, parents, all right? You can already, like, just breathe, and I'm okay with that. It's not going to bother me. It's not going to bother anybody else here. We're going to have them here so they can learn in word and deed how to worship the Lord. Amen? We want to be following God's word. Growing up, many of you know I was a, a pastor's kid. My dad was a pastor, and... Um, and there's certain challenges that come with being a pastor's kid. And one of them is that um, a lot of people um, expect you to be different and even perfect in some ways. Like you're, you can't mess up because you're the, the pastor's kid, right? And uh, the problem with that for me was um, I, I didn't like being told what I could and couldn't do. And so, <laughs> um, so this kind of went bad for me several times. And there, I think I've told this story before. There was one time I remember I was in kindergarten It was the end of the day. We're sitting at our table, whatever, waiting for mom and dad to come pick us up. And one of the kids at the table made some remark about, oh, Mikey can't do that. He's a pastor's kid. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you just watch. And so I sneaked back to the back of the room where we had all the art supplies, and I got a a bottle of glue, and I snuck back up to the table, and I proceeded to glue uh, the girl next to me her backpack to the desk um, just to prove that I could. And so... um, I think I got a spanking over that. They could still spank you back then in school. And so I think I got a spanking from the teacher over that one. But um, it was I wasn't trying to be honorary. I mean, I wasn't a mean kid. But there was just certain ways that I, would, I was smart enough to figure out how can I work the system and manipulate things and find the loophole to show what I want to do or do what I want to do or whatever. Are you right? Are you, are you with me? We all, we, all, we all did this as kids. Don't act like you're, I'm the only one. Y'all are looking at me with like those, those eyes like, I can't believe You're like your kids do it. My kids do it. We did it when we were kids. There's certain ways that we try to manipulate the system to get around it, to do what we want to do. The old ignore tactic, right? Like, what? Well, I didn't hear you say that. I didn't know you wanted me to, well, you, I didn't know you wanted me to, you know, take out the trash. I didn't hear you say that, dad. Anybody play that one before, right? Like, or, um or, you know, or the, the minimize tactic of mom comes in and she told you to clean your room and you cleaned it all up. She comes in, she opens the closet and everything goes right like down to the floor again you're she's like I told you to clean your room you're like I did clean my room you didn't say anything about the closet right like you knew what she meant you're minimizing it or sometimes it's the overrule tactic right like this is the one that got us in the most trouble in our house when I was growing up if you did this man you were like in big time hot water like you go to dad you are like, hey dad can I go do blah 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 and he's like no Hey, Mom, can I do blah, blah, blah? And she was like, oh, yeah. Sure. You're hoping Mom's going to overrule Dad, right? So, that like, you get to go do whatever. And then if they talk, then you're, like, even in worse trouble. We, we do this kind of stuff. Not only did we do it as kids with our parents and our kids do it with us, but sometimes we kind of do this stuff with God, right? We kind of do the same thing spiritually. We try, try to work the system and find the way of, you know, well, I, I didn't know that, God. Like, I didn't think about that. Like, he doesn't know our thoughts and like he can't see what's going on inside of us and we're going to fool him in some way or we try to find the loophole. Like, well, I know it says this, but, you know, over here it says this and so blah, 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 And Or the overrule tactic. I hear this a lot today and it, it grieves me. I know God's word says this, but, you know, our government says this and so I can't do that, I got to do this or our culture says this, or, um, you, know, um, you know, just, or, you know, I know God says to do this, but that's not even logically, that doesn't even logically make sense. That's, that's against reason and understanding, so obviously that's wrong and outdated, and so I know better than God, and I can overrule that. Or science has proven this over here, and so obviously they know more than God does. And we try to find ways to overrule what we don't like in God's word so we don't have to do it. The worst part is when we use God's word to try to do that. Well, I know it says this and over here, but this verse says X, and obviously those don't match together, and so I gotta do this and that, or like God's word contradicts itself, when obviously that's not the case. It's a misunderstanding on our part, not a misunderstanding on his part. We have to be careful that we're not minimizing, relaxing God's word, because when I do that, it seems like a win in the short term, but it's really a loss. It's, it's all for nothing. Because think about it. If, I, if my only hope for the future is based on my own standard of behavior and sinfulness, that's not going anywhere good, right? Like when we're left to our own devices, that does not bring hope. That brings despair and destruction. And that's not what we want. That's not what God wants for us. The only way forward with God is following his standards and his holiness. Let me say it this way. Jesus didn't come to lower God's standard to our sinfulness. That wasn't his reason. That wasn't his purpose or his mission. He didn't come to say, oh, that doesn't apply anymore. Don't worry about that. We'll change it for you guys. I know you guys can't do that, so we'll, we'll lower the bar so it gets to where you can finally reach it. Jesus did not come to do that so the first lie is that i can lower god's word to meet my life the second lie this morning of how to bridge that gap spiritually in our lives is that i can lift my life to god's word point number two the second tactic we try oftentimes is to try to to lift myself up and to get myself up to meet god's standard right God's standards are high, but if I, if I try hard enough and if I work and if I, if I put in the effort, I, I can get there. And, and even if I don't quite get there, God will see my effort and he'll look favorably on the fact that at least I tried to do it and he'll, he'll let me in and it'll be okay. Look at verse 20. Jesus goes on, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven your righteousness, your ability to keep the law, to do exactly what God has said. He said, unless that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, if, if you don't have a lot of Bible background, the scribes and the Pharisees were like the top law keepers in Judaism, right? Like they were like the best of the best, the holiest Jews. they were the ones who taught everybody else how to keep the law, right? Like nobody, nobody's Righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It wasn't possible. You would have to be better than the best. Today you would be like having more number one singles than the Beatles, right? Like, like having more money than Bill Gates, having more friends than Mark Zuckerberg, right? Like it's like you you would you would have to be better than the best. You have to swim faster than Michael Phelps. Just to help kinda of give us an idea of how far we are off from that. I Found this little video this week of an average guy. <laughs> so what are we gonna race? Trying to race Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad at breath. <laughs> I have but just let's do this. Take your mark. Almost good. Almost there. You did it. You finished. You leave me hanging, you leave me hanging. You're right over there. You gotta survive? Yeah. I have a lot of respect for what you do. <laughs> that would totally be me right there, right? Like, Okay, he wasn't even like halfway done before Michael was all the way done, right? And I'm pretty sure Michael wasn't even trying hard. Like he was like even like just like doing the little dolphin thing, you know, they, like, he wasn't even like stroking yet. Like it was, that's how far off we are from the level of righteousness that's required to meet God's law. Right? We have to exceed even the best of the best to get there. So Jesus says, listen, unless that happens, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Not even be, this is like way worse than the last one, right? The last one was you'll be the least in the kingdom. Now he's like, no, no, you're not even getting in unless your righteousness exceeds the best of the best. Why is that? Because our God is a holy God. And he requires nothing less than perfection. I can't lift myself up to that. I can't get myself up to perfect. By way of illustration, let's just pretend for a second that you were were in a life and death situation. That you were dying and you needed blood to live. You needed a blood transfusion to, to live. And we came to you and I said, hey, we got some blood for you, but, by, but when we were filling up the bag, one um, one just one, just one little drop of contaminated blood fell in the bag. It's got like this deadly blood disease in it, but it's just like this one little drop fell in the bag. How many drops of clean blood do I have to add to that bag before you're willing to put that in your body? Not enough, right? Like, not going to happen. Like, throw it out, start a new bag. Like, that's not going, like, because no matter how much clean blood I add to that, it's never going to clean up what's already there. No matter how much good behavior and good things I add to my life, it's never going to be enough to go back and clean up the sin that's already occurred in my life. I've already broken less than perfect, and I can't fix that. Jesus didn't come to lift our behavior to God's standard. Really, this is where they get lost. This is where they miss it. They think that Jesus came to teach us how to be better versions of ourselves. He did not come to teach you how to fix your behavior and do better and act act you know more moral. And he didn't come to create a better version of you. He came to show you that you can't get there and you need him. So if this is both true, if I can't lower the standard to my life and if I can't get my life up to his standard, then where is the hope? What hope do I have to actually Get this done. Point number three this morning. Look to the word for new life. Verse 20 says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees actually is possible. It is possible. But there's only one way to get it. Let me strike that. There's only one man who can do it. The only way we get that level of righteousness is through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could perfectly fulfill the law and earn the righteousness that we need. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. For our sake, he made him God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came and he lived a perfect sinless life to earn the righteousness that we needed. Then he went to the cross and he died our death so that he could take our sin and give us, gift to us his righteousness to make us perfect with God. Romans 3.21 says it like this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So if you want the righteousness that Jesus offers, the only way you get it is through putting your faith, your hope, your trust in him alone. Not in you, not in getting your life better, not in the pastor, not in your spouse, not in your parents. Like, it has to come from you trusting in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.19 says this, For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, that's us, so by one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Righteous. The many are all those who believe, who put their faith in Jesus. Remember back in verse 17, Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. Not only did he come to fulfill the prophecies and fulfill the teaching, he came to fulfill it in our place. He perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law on our behalf, so he could go to the cross and die for our sins and offer us that righteousness. We started this message talking about being a child of the king, and the only way you get to be a child of God is to believe in Jesus Christ. Some people think, well, all humans are children of God. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says it comes through belief in Jesus Christ. That... God looked down and he saw that our lives were broken and destitute and without hope and that we couldn't fix it, that there was a gap that we couldn't bridge. And so he sent Jesus to bridge that gap for us. And he came and he was born a human. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross and died a sinner's death for you, for me, in our place, on the cross, taking our guilt upon himself. And he went into the grave and he was buried Three days later, God raised him back to life to prove that he was God, to prove that he was who he said he was, that he had the power to forgive sins, that he had conquered death, and that he was offering to us the righteousness that we desperately need to bridge the gap between us and God. But you have to accept that. You have to put your faith, your hope, your trust in Him and in Him alone to receive that gift of righteousness. Right before we jumped into the Sermon on the Mount, we talked a little bit about Jesus' disciples. You know, right before, when Jesus starts His ministry, He, he gathers His team together, right? Like he gathers these 12 guys, His 12 disciples, to, to do ministry with Him for the next couple years. And if you, I don't know if you ever paid attention to the guys He chose, but like they were just like a, a motley crew of guys, right? Like they just They're just all different backgrounds and professions and pasts and points of view. And just, I mean, they're just this whole hodgepodge of guys thrown together. But there's two guys in particular that illustrate really well what we're talking about today. One, the first one was Matthew. Actually, the writer of the book that we're studying right now. Matthew, before being a disciple, was a tax collector. Which basically means that he was a sellout. Okay? He was a Jew who had taken a job with the Roman Empire, the oppressing empire, and he was collecting, text, collecting taxes for the Romans from his Jewish brothers and sisters, extorting them to make a living and then pass taxes on to the oppressors. So in their eyes, he was the epitome of compromise, right? Like he had turned on God's people, he had turned on God's word, he, was, he was, compromised everything that they stood for. That's that's Matthew. Another guy in the group was named Simon, the Zealots. The Zealots were guys who were so fervent and so like drilled into God's law that if you did anything to violate Judaism, or, like they would take you out—not not just like like you know tell you what it's what, but like shank you while you're walking down the road. Like you are out, right? Like these were these guys were serious about. They were they were legalists. Every single thing had to be followed. It had to be just like this. And if not, you were done. You were dead to them. Can you imagine the conversations at the disciples' table? <laughs> you got Matthew the compromiser and Simon the zealot, and they're sitting there having their thing, right? But they were both looking for the same thing. They were looking for hope. They were looking for a future. They were looking for something that was going to fulfill them in their lives. One was running after it through compromise. One was running after it through legalism. But they were both searching for the same thing. And they both needed the same answer. It was Jesus. And that's really good news for us. Because no matter what you came in here with today, no matter whether you were the, the sinner who was running from God and, and doing everything you could to live your own life, or whether you're the person who grew up in church and did all the right stuff and, and, and looked the right part and were, was this legalist, I can do it, I can earn it person. Jesus has room for you. Jesus has a place for all of us. And he calls us to himself and he says, Listen, the only hope you have at this is me. You need me. And he's calling you into his kingdom to have that hope for a future. But you have to trust in him. If you haven't done that yet in your life, I urge you to do that today. This is where our righteousness comes from. Jesus came to fulfill God's standard and trade his righteous life for my sinful life. That was his purpose. That was his mission, to come and to fill the gap to bridge the gap between where I am and where God tells me I need to be and to give his righteous life for my sinful life so that I can get back to God. Jesus is my only hope to close the gap between God's word and my life. Jesus is my only hope. That's it. It's the only way to bridge the gap between where I'm at and who I am and what God has called me to be in His Word. It's interesting in the book of John, the Gospel of John, it starts off by calling Jesus, not by His name, not by God the Son, but He's actually called the Word. Jesus was the living embodiment of everything that God's word says. He was the word for us. He came to give it to us. And only he has the righteousness that I need. You can't live for the kingdom until you love the king. If I go out and I try to do all the right stuff and follow all the rules and, and It's not going to work. I'm going to fail over and over and over again until I have Jesus in my life and I'm living by his righteousness and not my own. You have to have this foundation first. Otherwise, you're just going to be a hamster spinning the wheel. And God doesn't want that for you. I don't want that for you. We're gonna hear a lot from Jesus in the coming weeks about do this, do this, do this. And I don't want you to hear me teach that and preach that thinking it's all on you. It's on Jesus who is in you once you put your faith in him. He changes us, he grows us, he moves us deeper into living for the kingdom. As we love the king, it all starts here, putting your hope in Jesus first. Stand with me, let's pray. We're going to sing and respond to the Lord today and ask Him to make this true in our hearts. It's, it's one thing to read it, it's one thing to hear it, it's one thing to teach it, but it has to be real here. It has to be what we live on and breathe and believe even in the darkest times. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word and the way that you reveal yourself to us, Lord, we would be so lost in this world without you and without the wisdom and the guidance of your word. Father, thank you that you never change, that you're unwilling to settle for anything less than holy perfection. Father, today we acknowledge with broken hearts, Lord, we acknowledge that we cannot attain that level of holiness on our own. We thank you, Lord, that you've made a way, that you sent your son to make a way for us, to be perfect for us. Hear us today, Lord, as we cry out to you, as we sing, as we confess, as we pray. Lord, hear our great need for your forgiveness. Hear our great need for your righteousness, Lord. We need you today, now and forevermore. We need you. Meet with us now, Christ. And we pray.